look, uh, business is about cycles. And the smart ones get on the cycle at the beginning and ride it up to the very top and exits at the top. It makes a lot of money. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Corvinus Business Intelligence, our podcast brought to you by the Budapest Investment Club of Corvinus University's School of Business. My name is Theodore Boone. I'm on the faculty at Corvinus University, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Chordash, who is a student at Corvinus University's School of Business. And we're just thrilled to have back with us today for the second of our three podcasts, Nimrod Kovac who is the proprietor of Kovac Nimrod Winery, located in Eger, Hungary, where we are discussing the business of wine and related matters. Nimrod, something I've always wondered is how does a winery, and let's talk specifically about yours, how do you design your labels for your wines? Because I have to admit it, a label, when I'm looking at wines, influences is one of the factors that influences my decision. If I like the label, I'll be more inclined or attracted to perhaps buying that wine. Well, um, obviously, uh, it's one of the aspects of, of presenting yourself. And I fully agree. Many people uh, uh, look at the label and based on that, they decide. But usually when people uh, decide on what they want, I mean, there are a number of factors come to mind. Some people are, are uh, interested in certain regions. Um, and when you go to a liquor store, you, you see uh, wines by various regions. Some people are also looking at prices, you know, want to have an everyday pleasure wine and want to have some special occasion wine. And they also look at, um, uh, you know, labels uh, and the varietal that wine contains. So many other factors involved, but a label is one of the most important factors. Well, it's it, it really a combination of things. First of all, the label has to say something about the winery, the philosophy of the winery, what a winery is all about. We believe in, in, in quality, tradition, and value. So our labels are more of a classic-looking labels rather than the humorous or, or, or you know, some kind of, a, uh, you know, some, some all kinds of labels that you can see these days uh, on wines. So that was one of the indications. And the second thing is obviously, which is related to it, who's that we want to appeal to? What kind of an audience? In fact, we have gone through a redesign of our labels just recently. We're introducing the new labels. And it, it, it has to do with um, appealing more um, to, the, to the, uh, the millennial generation because my generation, the baby boomer generation, already had developed habits. Uh, and, you know, we, many of us, you know, like wines and consistently drink certain kind of wines and we, we kind of like what we see and we don't want too many changes because it confuses us. The millennial generation or the younger generation are far more fickle in a positive sense. I mean, they, they drink uh, seltzers, they drink uh, beer, they drink uh, gin and cocktails and all kinds of things. So um, uh, to them, the wine is one of the many things that they, they, they choose from. And I, what we, we have done some research to find out that that generation is, is, is looking for, you know, reliable quality, something that looks quality and, and not gimmicky. And as a result, that's kind of what we came into uh, 
to, uh, to getting the labels updated for that generation. And also for wines, which are less expensive, because uh, the truth is that some people drink very expensive wines, but there is a very limited audience. Most people drink, you know, wine with meals. And, um, and you know, some people drink every day. Some people drink a few times a week. And the wines they drink regularly are, you know, in Hungarian terms, are a couple of thousand foreigns, two, three, four thousand foreigns a bottle, not 10,000 or, or even more. So all of these factors have to come into consideration. And that's what kind of gives you a, a sense for what a label should be for a given brand and, and representing a given winery. Thank so you. I, Thank so you. I assume Chris. that uh, wines around 1,000 foreigns with, uh, from the most interesting territories are the most popular ones too, right? Well, uh, uh, depending. I mean, uh, you know, again, using Hungarian uh, uh, currency, I mean, anything for 1,000 and less is not the highest quality, of course. Um, uh, and so that's for, for, you know, people who just, you know, like to drink and don't want to spend a lot of money, but between like 2003, uh, then that's where the sweet spot is, you know, m many people, um, uh, you know, kind of, you know, drink wines between, between those, those, those ranges. That's kind of what is seemingly happening, uh, in, at least in Hungary. And for our international uh, listeners, just off the top of my head, a thousand forints is, is maybe three, four euros. So in euros, you'd be referring to the sweet spot as sort of between eight and 10 euros. Yeah, that's right. Right. Chris, you have go to ahead. That's what's happening. And it's true in the United States too, uh, or in Europe right. too. I mean, around $10 is where most of the wines kind of uh, sell. 10 to 15 and you know if anything beyond 20 dollars people a little bit more you know they pay more attention to it and it goes up to about 50 and from uh, from the wine 50 dollars up is more of a of a kind of a special occasion thing although the wines can go up to as high as ten thousand dollars a bottle uh, i was just gonna say it's really funny the psychology just thinking of me if if i see a wine that is quite lowly priced i'm suspicious yes i'm like this there must be something wrong with this wine and it, it could be that it's a great wine and it's just a bargain but i'm that's suspicious true. that's very true they are you know that's, that's it has to be taken into consideration when one comes to 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 pricing and labeling uh, you know what audience you want to appeal to and yes i agree i, I agree and usually is true i mean usually is there's a correlation between you know cheap and 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 uh, and the quality is not so good let's be polite here <laughs> which one is your which one is your most expensive wine the most expensive wines come from a Nadjeged uh, area and I, I let me speak in dollar terms um, because you know these are the prices in US if you want to look it up nimrodwines.com is our US website the Furmin uh, goes for about $40 and the NJK goes for about 80, 85. And the most expensive wine of ours is called Grand Bleu, which is 100% Cake Francoche, which is $90 plus range, which is for the US audiences, uh, especially the ones who you know, like you know, unique wines, is, is still relatively cheap. Because in this kind of, and, and you know, when one comes to pricing, we learned it early on, it's really the price value what matters. Um, you know, what quality the wine has or any product has and how it's priced 
And, um, and if the price value for the given category is good, especially for audiences who know the difference, then you should be okay. Give you an example or not get wines like NJK and Grand Bleu, you know, for about $80, $90 range. The same quality Italian Barolo is $300. Uh, or a French Burgundy is several hundred dollars. So really relative to the market of that quality wines, these are very well priced. Mm-hmm. So that's literally, and, and, and that's one of the things we usually say, which is true, that our, our best customers are sophisticated wine drinkers, people who know the, the market, know the categories. And then to them, after a first taste, you know, they realize, you know, that these, these wines are, are pretty good and relative to the relative price is, 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 is very attractive. And what makes the quality so high? Well, it's, um, uh, everything comes from the combination of the terroir where the wine is, is grown and the, the grape varietal and the grape varietal has to feel very much at home uh, in the given terroir. Give you an example, uh, the Cabernet Sauvignon grape, uh, which is very popular, is really not appropriate for a cooler climate region like Eger because Eger doesn't have enough sunshine. And Cabernet Sauvignon requires more sunshine than Eger can produce. So for Eger, especially for a Nadeger terroir, which is a limestone terroir, I don't want to get into a lot of technicalities here, but it's a limestone terroir, the varietals are are very appropriate, like Syrah, Cake Francoche, the lesser extent Pinot Noir. And these um, different varietals come from the, uh, that area, well tended to with a high yield control. In other words, you know, you, you, you have concentrated wines is what gives the, the wine the quality. Of course, you have to add to it the barrel usage and many other things that you do to make the wine look, um, you know, unique and, and, and attractive. Eger, I've been there. It's a beautiful, beautiful city and, and region, just a gorgeous. Um, although do, I do have a warning. If you climb the minaret that is there from the inside, <laughs> it's not good if you are either claustrophobic or have fear of heights. Because That's, I didn't think yes. I was either. But when you're climbing up the inside of that tower and then you get to the top and you're on the edge, um, it can be quite an experience. So in my case, next time, I'm just going to view it from the street below. But it's a beautiful city and yeah. a beautiful uh, region. In terms of your winery, could you take us on a bit of a, a verbal uh, tour of uh, your your winery? I think it'd be very helpful for people that are um, thinking about visiting. Absolutely. I mean, it, Eger is, uh, or the winery, is approximately 150 kilometers east of Budapest. Uh, and depending on the traffic, it takes about an hour and a half to get there. It's a nice highway, goes east uh, out of Budapest. Um, and then when you come into Eger, I mean, obviously you can Google it and it shows you precisely where it, where it is. But going to the, the winery, we go to an area uh, which is a traditional um, uh, area where uh, many of these cellars were built. And it's easy to get to. And we were fortunate to be able to buy seven of these um, uh, old uh, press houses or cellars built in a 17th and 18th century. And we uh, fixed them up, of course. And, um, and they are, you know, old shell, but essentially modern uh, inside in terms of, uh, of comforts as well as, uh, 
as the, uh, the, the winery itself. And we have a tasting room, which is a, a nice old tasting room where the wines are being uh, featured. And uh, when people come in, they come into the, the tasting room. We welcome them, you know, with a, with a little bit of, uh, of, of uh, rosé or a lighter white. And then uh, we, uh, we take a tour of the cellars because these are old, uh, nice under the, under the earth cellars uh, with, with all the barrels and all the various things. And after, you know, the tour of the winery, we look at, you know, uh, the bottling line, we look at storage, we look at all the aging rooms and all this stuff. Then people come back and, uh, you know, taste some more wines depending on what they like. In many cases, we serve them lunch or dinner and then uh, chat away and, uh, and, uh, and enjoy themselves, enjoy the wines. And, and we have 14 different wines that uh, we make. And uh, depending on the interest, we can have like a, three uh, type of wine flights or five, six or eight. So you can, you know, you can spend uh, a lot of time uh, enjoying, enjoying yourself. And that's kind of what it is. I, you know, recommend that don't drive, just come on in and enjoy yourself. <laughs> uh, I would like to go back to some of the business aspects of the winery. Mm -hmm. um, since you started the business, how did the trends and consumer demand change in the industry? Well, I mean, it's, it's an ever-changing uh, world and, um, and, you know, we learn more about the, uh, the consumers, we learn more about the vineyards, we learn more about the varietals, so it's, it's, it's really uh, changing and I told you that there's a generational issue uh, uh, that we are dealing with, but mm -hmm. fundamentally, uh, uh, making wine is... is uh, is a very complicated process. And I work in a lot of diff different businesses in my life. Um, you know, I spent six years in New York after MBA, and then I spent 27 years in a telecommunications and media business traveling around the world. I work with a lot of different products. Um, uh, and I must say that uh, the winery business is the most complicated one I ever experienced because fundamentally, you're dealing with products which are rather subjective. And, you know, I'm a city kid. I never knew about agriculture. I mean, it's a very major part of it is actually growing it, choosing, uh, uh, you know, the various uh, uh, land uh, into which you plant the terroir, you know, varietals, all this stuff. Then you need to understand the, uh, the chemistry part. I mean, how do you take the, uh, the grapes and convert them into wine and different processes that you need to know about then you know you need to learn about the 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 barrel uh, usage you know what kind of barrels you use we use french hungarian american barrels each and every barrel type have different characteristics as all of these things kind of uh, mm -hmm. have to come together and then the most important part is how do you present it to the world you know how do you price it how do you you know distribute it's a lot of um, so there's a lot of changes going on but you know it's sort of like um, you know i have been at it you know i own the winery now uh, almost 12 years um, prior to that i was just a partner in it and i have to say that we reached a point where you know we are pretty uh, clear about the the type of wines we want to make we know the audience is reasonably well it's a matter of refining it it's, you know uh, quality is a lot of small steps you know you have to pay attention to to you know uh, all these individual steps to uh, to bring them together as a uh, as a kind of a holistic way of here it is and and hopefully people like it and enjoy it. 
And in terms, you mentioned the generational issue. I'd like to explore that from a different perspective. And that is um, your, your hiring of your, your, your team at, at the winery. Um, yeah. Are you, uh, I, I'm sure you, you need the people that have been doing this for whatever, 20 or 30 years. Um, but what about, what about the youth? What about people uh, Chris's, Chris's age? Um, uh, are you finding that they are interested in um, the wine business, if we can use that uh, term? Or um, is, it, is it more difficult to, to find people of, of that generation to become involved in, in uh, your work? Well, it's, it varies. Uh, clearly, we have young people. I'm the oldest one uh, there. Um, and uh, yes, of course. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a difficult business. And uh, it's not the most profitable businesses that you can think of. So it sort of selects, you know, if, if, if a young person, you know, gets an MBA from a prestigious university like yours, I mean, takes a look at, you know, where it can make the most money. And the winery business is not going to come to the top. You know, investment banking, there are all kinds of alternatives one can, one can pursue. But, you know, there are some people who, uh, who like nature, who like, you know, this, um, uh, uh, this type of work. And we were fortunate enough to get, um, you know, some good quality people. And, and like in many other businesses, in my experience, you, you obviously um, uh, uh, interview for, for experience, but to... to to me, it's far more important the attitude that people have. And in fact, you know, I found um, uh, people with a lot of experience have, you know, the, uh, the wrong attitude that that's really a kiss of that. So, you know, much rather have someone that is young and the right attitude and willing to learn and teach the individual than, than try to struggle with someone who is, who is difficult to work with. It's, it's not, you said that it's not the most profitable business. Yes. Then after an MBA, how come you landed there? How come you bought a winery? Well, uh, this is not where I made my money, to be mm -hmm. very honest with you. I mean, you know, after I got my MBA, I got into advertising in New York, uh, which was a very good learning ground. You know, I made decent money, but I started to make money when I, uh, you know, became involved with the cable television business, which was a, a growing business those days. And, uh, and you know, through equity. I mean, it's just fundamentally you, you build value for, the, uh, for your shareholders, you build value for consumers, and there's enough money to be around for you to, to make some decent money um, as well. So that's kind of how I did it. But I always um, enjoyed wine, and it's, it's a perfect thing for me as a retired guy to, to enjoy this uh, um, and, uh, you know, build some value here as well. But it's, uh, I mean, look, uh, business is about cycles. And the smart ones get on the cycle at the beginning and ride it up to the very top and exits at the top. It makes a lot of money. And uh, the winery business is not one of those rising uh, 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 cycles because a lot of wineries and it's not a very proper business. So now if one wants to make money, one needs to get into the internet business. We need to get into um, um, areas that represent the height or the, the high tech business or, the, or um, the green business these days, renewable energy and many of these things which are on, on their way up 
and then uh, ride it and hopefully get into the position where they can own a piece of the action, either own stock options or, or own a piece of the company and, and, and you know, uh, can, can uh, earn. I mean, you know, there are good salaries around, but real monies are not made through salaries. Monies are made through equity or ownership of, of businesses. And, and, you know, uh, you know hopefully uh, it will be well. Or of course, Wall Street is obviously a very profitable business uh, and has been for for a very long time. Did you or do you still have a portfolio, an investment portfolio? Sure. I'm on the boards of many companies and I, I own businesses, interest in businesses. I have a very substantial stock portfolio. Yes, yes, yes. May I ask, um, you had mentioned in the prior podcast that in the COVID era, the restaurant portion of your business fell away, understandably. In, uh, let's call them normal times, when restaurants are open, um, what is the business relationship between the restaurant and your winery in terms of, uh, is it actually a significant source of revenue or is it more a marketing outlet in that if, if your wine appears on the menu or is available at the restaurant, and people have it there, then they will have a tendency to consider buying it uh, in, the, yes. in the store. It's both, actually. It's uh, clearly, you know, uh, I mean, everything is driven by, I'm not telling you guys anything new, driven by the target audience you want to, you know, get to. I mean, that's the key. You need to know who you want to sell to, because otherwise it's very difficult to do. And, you know, in our case, you know, we go for a upper middle class or upper class folks, you know, who uh, appreciate stuff, they have enough money and, you know, they uh, enjoy good life, so to speak. And we are part of the lifestyle that, that they have. And restaurants, top restaurants are clearly very good for that. People discover wines in restaurants, they like them. And many people who tasted our wines in one of the restaurants, you know, uh, call us and want to come down and and visit. At the same time, you know, uh, restaurants sell a fair amount of wine, and, and that also gives us some, some pretty decent revenues uh, um, uh, as such. So it's really a combination. That makes sense. But unfortunately, we've run out of time for this segment, the second podcast of our three podcasts on the business of wine. But don't go away completely, because in our third podcast, Nimrod Kovac, the proprietor of Kovac Nimrod winery located in Eger, Hungary, will rejoin us here on the Corvinus Business Intelligence Podcast of the Budapest Investment Club at Corvinus University's School of Business. I would very much like to thank my co-host for today, Chris Chordash, for joining us. And most of all, I would like to thank you, Nimrod Kovac, the proprietor of Kovac Nimrod Winery in Eger, Hungary, for joining us today. My name is Theodore Boone. I'm on the faculty of Corvinus University's School of Business. We leave you today with these words from Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Thank you. Thank you.